Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. And who's going to appear in this is Ezra's going to make an appearance. I got a couple things as far as foundational I want to lay down. Uh, last week, and I was getting ready for this, there's several dates in here that uh, I think I've got them figured out as far as how these events take place. But if we go back to Ezra chapter 10, and if you're in Nehemiah, you've just got to flip back the previous book. But chapter 10, verse 1, it began, remember Ezra was, was sent by Artaxerxes to uh, come back and teach the law of the Lord but also teach the law of the Persians to kind of get the people all on the same page. And so Artaxerxes is good with that. Now remember last night we were talking in the book of Mark. In 539, 538, the people came back from Babylon uh, to return. The people came back to return. Uh, their intention was to build the temple. Uh, it finally got done 520. Now Ezra is going to come back in 458, and his purpose is to teach the law. So there is return with the ideal of building the temple. Again, that took quite a while to get the temple done, but that was the purpose of 539. The purpose of 458 was to teach the law, Ezra. But now in 445, Nehemiah has come back to rebuild the city and, and establish the, the culture there again. So these are the things that are taking place over a period of time. This 458, the establishment of the law, is kind of what we're looking at right here because if you look at this, Ezra, the last thing we hear about Ezra is 457, chapter 10, and then he's gone. Nehemiah now shows up and he's gone through the whole, the first few chapters, and we've heard nothing of Ezra. Where's Ezra on the wall? Where's Ezra's family building? What, what Ezra? There's no Ezra. But all of a sudden, in chapter 8, Ezra reemerges. And so we have a 13 year break of, of Ezra, Nehemiah doesn't comment, and Ezra had done a fine job of instructing the people in the law. There was nothing. I mean, and so if you look at chapter 10, again, some of this is speculation, uh, because you've got to put these things together. Some people would say these chapters are out of order, and, and you can just like re realign the chapters. That's possible. But the way I'm going to approach this is Ezra chapter 10, it says, chapter 10, verse 1, while Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites of men and women gathered around, and then he's going to withdraw, and he's going to suggest that they take an oath, and they're going to have a consul, they're going to find out who has married these foreign women. And that's what the rest of the chapter is. Uh, chapter 10, verse 18, you've got a whole, the, cha the book ends with all the people who have violated the, the code. They've married into the other nations. And the idea of marrying into other nations is not that there's something wrong with the people. There's something wrong with their religion, their culture, their philosophy. They've come back to rebuild uh, the nation, and they're just morphing into, they might as well stay in Babylon and become Babylonians or become Persians, as well as come back to Jerusalem and become Samaritans or Ammonites or Philist Ashdodites, which Philistines were gone by this time. So anyway, it ends probably with Nehemiah, after having done this, is he is, in a sense, rejected. And it's like he's there to teach, but there's no one to teach. No one's interested. And, and again... He you say, well, why weren't they interested? Well, are they interested in Nehemiah building the city walls? I mean, look what Nehemiah's had to go through. 
the opposition from the surrounding countries, uh, the, the opposition from people within the community. There's people in, on his staff, as far as in the government of Judah itself, that are sending letters to the enemy trying to undermine. So Nehemiah no more than pl- makes a plan than someone sent an email to the Samaritans or the to- over to Tobias over in the Ammonites, and they take action and undermine. He's, he can't get anything done. Ezra's been dealing with this for 13 years. He's trying to teach the law of God. Nehemiah can't even build a wall for the people without taking up force. And Nehemiah showed up with Persian military. He showed up with Persian financing. Ezra showed up with a scroll. I'm going to teach you the word of God. And the, it's like, they're absolutely not. I'm saying they said no to Ezra. So he's been sitting around for 13 years, you know, trying to have Bible study. And it's just, in a sense, you know, too hard, too difficult. Again, you never want to say it's nothing's too hard. Well, in this case, Nehemiah is going to come back and we're going to see Ezra make an appearance here in chapter 8 and it's going to be uh, a big deal. Now, the other thing we've got to look at is that's that box at the top. And if you look in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, verse 15, it's... uh, there, of course, are, there's, there's 12, again, okay, don't write this down, you know this. There's 12 months in a year. Uh, the Jewish calendar has, uh, has got two calendars. They've got a, a religious calendar and they've got a civil calendar. And Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, or go ahead and look, uh, look in chapter, well, look in chapter 6, first of all. Chapter 6, verse 15. Uh, it says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu the, uh, in 52 days. Now, that's that first box that I've got written right there. And Elu is the uh, sixth month. Now, watch this. This is the sixth month, and it was the... 25th day of the sixth month. That's the religious calendar. But also notice uh, it is also the, uh, uh, the sixth month of the civil year. It's the, the last day, the 12th month of the civil calendar. So in other words, there's five days left before the end of this month and the seventh month will begin here. Or there's five days left for the end of the year. And the very first day here is going to be New Year's. This is also known as the Feast of Trumpets. So in, in, in uh, the 25th of the sixth month, when the seventh month begins over here, that's going to be uh, the month of Tishria. It's T-I-S-H-R-E-I, Tishri. Uh, the first day of this seventh month is also the first day of the civil year. So it's New Year's Day here. It's the Feast of Trumpets here. All right? So the point being, the wall is done on the 25th. One, two, three, four, five days. Chapter 8 begins. Nehemiah has already moved on to the next project. And that's where Ezra's going to make an appearance. And so this chapter 8 is going to begin 
five days after the wall is built, and we've got an entire different direction. It's going to be religious. They're going to be reading the, the scroll. And now, you understand, that's the sixth month. So now we're going to go over here to the seventh month. This month of, and that's where you've got across the top, T-I-S-H-R-E-I, the seventh month. But it's also the first month of the civil year. Now, day one, the first day, is the Feast of Trumpets. The tenth day of this month is the Day of Atonement. And then five days after that is going to be the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Uh, the day of the trumpets is a beginning, of, it's, it's both a civil and a religious holiday. When they sound the trumpets, it's the end of the agricultural year. In fact, the harvest, this is harvest and they're closing down for the year or they're starting another year, depending on what calendar you're looking at. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is an announcement of the beginning of the new year, but it is also an announcement to the people, you have five more days, or excuse me, Ten days to get ready for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is, uh, again, where they, they confess their sin. It's a day where they recognize, you know, the, their wretchedness. But once that day is over, they're heading towards a feast. And this feast is, the Feast of Tabernacles is going to do several things. Uh the Feast of Tabernacles, is going to be a remembrance of the wilderness. When the people lived in, in the wilderness without homes, they lived in tents. So they're all going to have to make a tent or a shelter out of branches, and you'll see them, they're going to set them up on the roofs of their houses. They're going to set them up in the courtyards of the gates. They're going to set them up in the courtyards of the temple. Wherever you can find space, it's like everybody's camping out. It's like, I mean, it's, it's a great celebration, seven days of everyone just camping out. It's like, what about using the house? You can't. You can't sleep in your bed. You've got to sleep in the tent. And it's, remember, we spent time in the wilderness. It is also uh, a remembrance or a recogni recognition of God dwelling with the people. In the, the presence of God is with them in the wilderness. They, God lived in a tent, so they're remembering their time in the wilderness. They remember God dwells with us. And then it is also a day... Of, of, of the agricultural and the, and the recognition of the feast and the things taking place there. So that's what's taking place throughout this. If you look at the box now, Nehemiah 6.15 is the 25th day of Elul, the sixth month of the Jewish civil year. It's 30 days a month. There, there's five days left of the year. Then Nehemiah 7 here. Now watch. If you look in Nehemiah 7, and this is interesting because chapter 7 the very last verse verse 73 is really split into two parts and you can see it yourself chapter 7 verse 73 verse 73 ends a list of all the people and that's cut and paste right out of Ezra they, Nehemiah went back and got the records of everybody that had come back who their families were and just put it right here and the last part that's right out of Ezra 
that is in here is verse 73. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their towns. End, cut, and paste. But that doesn't end the verse, if you notice in your Bibles, because it goes on and says, now in my NIV Bible, they've actually got a new title. They recognize the break. and says, Ezra reads the law. I mean, that's, that's added to the, like a chapter. But the rest of the verse says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, then verse eight, chapter 8, verse 1, all the peoples assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And so we're actually looking at chapter 7, verse 73, which is really the first verse of chapter 8. Whoever divided the chapter divisions, as you know, are not divinely inspired. God did not say, Moses, okay, start a new chapter. He gave him the document and people later, I mean, theoretically, you could come by and divide it up like you want to. Uh, it's just that no one else would be able to communicate to you. You say, well, turn to, you know, Ruth chapter 75, verse 2. Well, there's not 75 chapters. Well, the way I've divided up, every, every two verses is a new chapter. You could do that if you wanted to. I mean, we're not going to. But whoever divided this up, and it, you, got, you can go through, and it's happened several different times, and it ended up being... You know, in the New Testament is divided up by someone. Uh, I've got the name in the framework book. It's, I think it starts with an S, Sir, someone. It starts with an S, I think. Stevens or Sevens or something like that. Then that way. This, this was divided at the wrong place. Chapter 8 for, should begin when the seventh month came. So in other words, keep that in mind. So that is saying this right here. When the seventh month came, and now you're going to have the first day. It says here, the people are going to assemble in Jerusalem. They're, they've settled in their own towns, but now they've come to the city, maybe been called to the city, but they're going to assemble in Jerusalem. And fortunately for us, they're going to assemble at the water gate. Now, we know exactly where the water gate's at. Uh, we've got pictures. I've probably got a picture in here. I think I still have a picture in the notes. I'll, we'll look at it in a minute. Uh, I've walked in that water gate. It's been excavated. They still found, the, they excavated so far into it, they found the, the rubble, the damage caused by the 586 Babylonians, the crushed jars. That was all apparently covered up by Nehemiah because we still excavated it here in the last 10, 15 years. It's been excavated and drawn out, the crushed jars and vases and finding things. Well, anyway, we, we can walk in the courts of, of that water gate. You can go there today and look at it. Uh, so they're going to assemble in this water gate, and that's beginning of chapter 8. And what's going to take place, they're going to then read. They're getting ready because it's the trumpets are going to sound, which is an indication that you've got a certain amount of time because the Day of Atonement is coming. You should be grieving, recognizing your sin, you know, reflecting on your life. And then atonement's going to be made for the sin, and the point there is once the atonement is made, a very important point of this chapter, we'll make a big deal about it when we get there, is there's a place to, uh, we'll say, weep. You're, they're going to recognize their sin and weep. There's a place to recognize your sin and come to Christ. But once you've come to Christ and your sin has been atoned for, or once their sin has been atoned for, it's a recognition of, thank God there was a, a something to, some way to deal with my sin. You don't remain in this state forever. The people were so shocked, we're going to read it, so shocked by Ezra's words when he reads the word of God, they're, they're like, well, they, they do respond correctly, they weep. 
but they just continue to weep, and they're going to be told by the Levites and the priests, by Nehemiah himself. Okay, there, there's no strength in weeping. You've, you've repented. Now you need to start to celebrate. This is it, the, the, it's, it's going to start. Here's your great verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. They wanted to stay back here and weep and mourn for the, oh, I'm so wretched, I'm so wretched, I'm so terrible. It's like, yes, but the Lord has come to your aid. You are now victorious. He is going to do something with you. Oh, I am so wretched. Okay, in a sense, that sounds very, oh, this guy is so holy, so sincere. He's so wretched. He's so close to God. He recognizes his wretchedness. Okay, right. But have you recognized the goodness of God? Have you look, recognized the victory? If you just stay here in their wretchedness, in a sense, there's no salvation in wretchedness. It's just, I'm wretched. Okay, and what did you do about it? Oh, I'm just so wretched. I just stand before God as a wretched sinner. Right, and day of atonement, what did God do? He, just like he brought you out of Egypt, he brought you out of sin. He gave you a way of sacrifice. He's now moving on. We're going to become a great nation. We're rebuilding the city. We're, doing, we're becoming the kingdom of God. It's, we're moving on. Yeah, then they got somebody in the group. Well, I'm such a sinner. It's like, okay, we're done with the sin. We're going to move on in the glory. And so there, I mean, there's a fine line between recognizing, and there's groups. Uh, I, know gr- I know groups. I know individuals who get into certain groups. Uh, good religious Christian organizations, churches, uh, that they, they want to focus. I mean, we're talking about mainline denominations uh, that they just want to talk about how wretched they are. It's like, right, but you have accepted Christ, right? Do you recognize that you are now born again a child of God? Well, yeah, but I'm not worthy. Right, we've established that fact. But, are you, but how great is God? Now, what, what was greater? You talking about how sinful you are and all this self-absorption, how bad I am? Or, okay, that's a fact, but I'm going to embrace, instead of me, I'm going to embrace Jesus and the victory, and that's my focus. Now, again, just like First John, confess your sins, knowing if anyone says he does not sin, that he's a liar, you have a, you, we're always dealing with sin, but you can spend your entire Christian life focused on the fact that you're a sinner, or you can recognize that you're a sinner saved by grace, and where do you want to spend your time? Talking about how sinful you are or talking about the grace that has saved you. And, and what does this grace give me? What, what does this grace have for my, again, not give me like possessions, but give me as far as growth in Christ. And that's, gonna, that, that's, that's this chapter. That's one of the huge points of this chapter. Anyway, the Day of Atonement, they're going to celebrate this. And then the, there's going to be a day after the Day of Atonement where they're going to read the law again. And they're going to spend some time studying in preparation for the Feast of Tabernacles. So in this chapter, you're going to see the Feast of Trumpets, which is the beginning of a new year, but also a call to get ready for the Day of Atonement. You're going to see the people get together and read the law. Ezra's going to show up for Bible study finally, and he's going to read the law, and people are going to go, oh my gosh, we've been so far from this, and they have for all these years. They've been mingling with the other cultures. They've been busy trying to stay alive, Nehemiah's come in, built a wall, they've got protection. Now they're at the water gate saying, okay, this is why we're here. And they read the law, and they're like, this is serious. We're in, this God is really upset with, with what we're doing. Right, but he's made a way out. They teach that, they cover it, and they move on into 
the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's what you're going to see in these verses um, as we go through them. So that calendar is kind of important to kind of understand this. So I'm going to begin looking at the notes, and then I'll just read through the English Standard Version in the notes as we go through. Uh, First of all, point one, three things occur in this chapter. There's going to be chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. There's going to be the gathering or the assembly to read the law. And again, that's going to be interesting because they're going to be reading the law in Hebrew to people that have come from Babylon having sp- being sp- speaking Aramaic. But also, we're going to find out later in chapter 9, or chapter 13, they're also been intermarrying, and so they speak other languages around, but they don't speak Hebrew. So when you read the Law of Moses, an ancient document, and people are like, I don't understand that language. Which kind of gives, uh, we'll mention as we go by, really gives some credence to the fact that it's an ancient document. Because if Ezra had just, like the critics say, like 1870, uh, Julius Wellhausen, the, the liberal uh, scholars from Germany, really messed the church up in the 18, late 1800s. And, and America bought into it, followed it, took their seminaries right down the toilet. I mean, 1920, 1930s, 1950s, they just flushed their seminaries down the toilet and got into higher criticism. That's why you've got pulpits filled with loser pa- pastors. No doubt about it. They've gone to loser seminaries. They've become liberal in their theology. They're trying to be Christian, but they don't have a Bible. They just have some Christian ideas like tolerance and multicultural, quadruple gender, and everybody's okay, I'm okay. It's like it's a waste of time. They're not even Christian. They've fallen. They taught in the 1870s, for example, that Ezra came back and basically made up the law. This chapter really takes a bite out of that argument because, first of all, it's so old, nobody understands it. Nobody, can, nobody has, knows that language. Also, the people ask for it. Nehemiah is going to come out and say, Oh, look, I found something. Well, what is that? It's the law of Moses. Who's Moses? Oh, oh, long time ago. You guys used to be slaves in Egypt. Uh, it's like, never heard that before. They've, they know the general story. They just... No, they didn't know anything about it. So they asked for it. And then when Ezra comes out, guess what he's going to bring with him? He's going to bring the scroll. He's got the material. He's, he's a scribe from Babylon. So he's, again, he's been studying. He is a scribe. But there's no doubt about it. It's an ancient document. The people know it exists. They just don't know what's in it. And Ezra has a copy. He doesn't make a copy. He's got a copy. That's all going to come up. So that's a big deal. They're going to gather to read that, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 8, verses 9 through 12 is going to be the, the Day of Atonement and or dealing with that in preparation for it. And that's where the people are going to start to weep in response to the law. But they're going to be told, listen, you've got to embrace this Day of Atonement. It's a sacrifice for your sin. There's something to go on with God. It's a day of rejoicing that you've been forgiven. And then that begins, we're going to go on, and they've got to get ready for uh, chapter 8, verse 13 to verse 8, is the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's a couple things taking place between there, like the day after the Day of Atonement. On this day right in here, excuse me, when they're reading right here, they're gathering to read right here, um, there's going to be a, uh, 
everyone's there, women, children, and it's a public place. Notice, I've already said, where is this assembly going to gather? Now, this, this, is, this is, again, probably another main thing. That's a, several things are happening in this. It's an old, dusty, dead chapter in the end of Nehemiah. But there's something happening here. Where do the people gather? Okay, let me ask you this. Where do they not meet at? They do not meet on the Temple Mount. I mean, it's like, why aren't they here? It's there. The walls are built. We know the temple's been built. We know the altar is put up. Altar is up in 537. Temple's up by 516 B.C. Now the walls are up in 444. And they decide to have a big public assembly at the Watergate. Nothing to do with Nixon. Don't, and just, it's right here, this, a public gate. It's like, what, what is that? It's like, all of a sudden, something happens here in, in this chapter where it goes from being a religion of ritual in the temple to a religion of the book or the text, the word. It's going to go from ritual right here to... Now, they're going to continue the ritual. They built the temple. They've got the temple. But it's going to transition from a religion based in ritual, a lot of symbolism, a lot of just pouring stuff out, bringing grain in, burning stuff up, cutting it, eating sacrifices, following the feast. It's like it becomes this, it can become this ritual without meaning, ritual without reality, although it was trying to teach something. In this chapter... Nehemiah doesn't go up here on the temple. Now, he could take Ezra up here, and Ezra could have class up here. Ezra's a priest and a scribe. Ezra comes down here in the city gate, and it becomes uh, the religion of the scroll or the book, or we should say the words. And it's not like it's a, a, an artifact or they're not worshiping like uh, bibli- bibliolatry. Uh, people accuse, and I've been accused of bibliolatry, not bibli, not bibli, I'm getting the words, trying to get the words straight, bibliology is the study of the Bible, but bibliology is the worship of the Bible, uh, you just worship the Bible, uh, that's another whole conversation, uh, I, I really want to go down that track because my mind wants to, is the traditions, you're, you're not in tune with the Spirit of God who's doing a new thing, you're in these traditions and, and, uh, and worship the Bible. Now, you can play that game if you want to, but okay, if you're not going to read the Bible and you're not going to follow the traditions of orthodox doctrine and you're going to follow the new thing the Spirit is doing, what are you actually following? Where is this Spirit from? And is this Spirit nothing more than your own desires and imagination? And you can watch that track and just watch, here, just watch the fruit of that ideology. And I, can just, I could go down a list and just watch them crash and burn one after the other going off into the world and the philosophy of the world. Not, we don't worship the Bible. I don't worship the Bible, but I do believe God has given us his thoughts in the Bible as in special revelation. Just like God created the universe and revealed himself in general revelation, God, in his mind, in his intellect, in his wisdom, communicates with us through prophets and apostles who were able to write the thoughts in text that we could now transmit them from one generation to the next. 
and God's word has been preserved here. So, this is not a matter of them going from ritual to worshiping a scroll, but they're recognizing, Ezra the scribe is recognizing, the scroll has words, and those words came from God. We have God's will recorded in these words. If we stay focused on this, we can meet God and know what he's thinking. And he's a, it's not imaginary. He's out there. He's interacting in our history. It's just we now understand it. Now, one of the reasons this has happened it's been easy for this kind of shift into it because since 586 B.C., what have they not been doing? There's not been a temple. And it's very easy to go to Babylon, leave your temple in ashes, and go to Babylon and live for 150 years and do what? Well, it happened to me. My family came from England and Germany, and after less than 100 years, I don't know the language. I don't know the town they lived in. I've looked some stuff up. I, I don't know their history. I had to find out what my great-grandfathers did. And my great-great-grand, I had to go through and look. It's like I had to look it up. But it wasn't until a few years ago that we had Ancestry Online and all that stuff. Otherwise, you just had some wild stories, and I found out all the cool stories weren't even true. Why was My great-grandmother was supposed to be uh, supposedly a, a Native American princess. And so I, I even told people, you know, uh, I'm one-eighth, you know, Native American. And then I get in and do the genealogy, do the DNA spit test. And I'm just, I'm European. I mean, it's like from all my names of my ancestors, the cities they came from, they're all just European ancestors. And I did the spit test. Maybe there's some things going to pop up. It's like a little special orange flag on the side of that little circle. It's like Native American, you know. No, it's, all, it's like I thought I was German. I thought I was, okay, who cares what I am? Uh, I'm sorry. But I, on my spectrum, my spectrum right here, that little circle, my name's Weemers. Weemers come from Germany. Well, it ends up being something like this. This is German, some, this, uh, you know, a good portion. But this was all, everybody else, the whole was, was England. I'm like 70%, 65% English, and then 40% German. I think there's a little sliver of, of Norwegian, you know, which that you can probably tell. But it's basically, anyway, there's nothing there. My point for saying all that is I already forgot and a bunch of legends came in, none of them were true. These people, without a temple, the very fact that they come back and know that they're supposed to build a temple, what preserved that, what preserved that was the law. The written text preserved that. And they've had to spend all their time, if they were serious, like scribes like Ezra, if they were serious, Daniel, if they were serious, Daniel had the, record, the writings of Jeremiah. He says, I was reading the Jeremiah and I realized the 70 years were up. And he was there and he, he, was, and he was prophesying, we're going back. And pretty soon here, Babylon falls, Ezra says, or yeah, uh, 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 Cyrus says, go back. And Daniel knew it because he had the book of Jeremiah with him. And so the law or the text of the law of Moses and the prophets was with them. That preserved them, and they learned how to function reading the text of Scripture. Now they've come back, they've rebuilt the temple, but Ezra has been a scribe in a foreign land, not offering sacrifices. It's illegal. Again, you can't just build an altar in your backyard and start offering lambs up to God. You've got to do it on the temple. You've got to do it the right way, according to the right place, right time, right priesthood, the right offerings on the right day at the right time of the day. 
So you, there's none of this, I'll just do what I want to. No, no, no. You, in fact, some guys, you know, try to do it the way they wanted to. If it be Korah or Dathan and Abiram or Aaron's two sons, they all tried something unique in the temple, and all of them, God smoked them. It's like, no, you, don't, you, you have no opinion here. You do what I told you to do the way I told you. And so, anyway, now over there in captivity, they have begun listening to the Word of God or studying the Word of God because that's all they had. And what, another thing is happening here now, what's beginning, and you can see this several ways, is, oh boy, sin, uh, G-O-U-G-E. Is that close? Is that right? I don't want that on the camera on my video because it's like people are like, look, there's a screenshot of an idiot. Is that right? No, you. Uh, yeah, there's a you in there somewhere. I'm going to erase it. Okay, it's in my notes. I got it in my notes several times. I'm, there's a you in there. Okay, this is not a spelling test. You don't need to worry about this. I'm not going to ask you who the governor of... Okay, how do you spell? Let's do it right, right here. For those listening at home, sin a g o u g e. So how? G o u. Oh, oh! I got the u in the wrong place. All right, I'll cut that out. Synagogue. Okay. Uh, the synagogue, as you know, David never had a synagogue. Nehemiah or Jeremiah never had synagogues. They had the temple. They had the Levites. They had teaching Levites in the cities around, all around Israel. There's Levitical cities where they would be teachers stationed. But the synagogue is going to develop in every community, every village. If you have 10 men, you can start a synagogue. And what that synagogue is, you're going to have a whole series. The church was formed after the synagogue image. So in a sense, we're seeing the beginning of what we would call the church or the assembly of the church that's going to copy the Jewish synagogue. They're going to meet. They're going to have prayer. They're going to have benediction. They're going to have the several readings of Scripture. Uh, they're going to have a teaching or explanations. They're going to close with benedictions. All these things, or many of these things, we're going to see here. In fact, this would be, in a sense, the beginning of the synagogue. So instead of being on the temple doing ritual and sacrifices, they're in a city gate, which again, nothing, the gate is just like a place to meet. It's an old, wide open area, public meeting place. They've all assembled and they're going to read. The, several things are going to take place. When he comes out with the scroll, the people are all going to rise when he has the scroll. And they're going to listen, stand up while it's being read. Ezra is going to begin by saying, blessed is the Lord or blessed be the Lord which is how they begin, you know, and then people are going to respond with amen. And we're going to read it now. Here we go, chapter 8. We're going to find three things in here. When the seventh month had came, that's the first month of the year or uh, the civil year, the seventh month of the religious year, the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. So it means they're all back in their cities. The wall are built. They've gone back home. Some of them have gone back home. Remember, Nehemiah shut it down. You can't go home because you're going to have not get the work done. Now the work is done. They've gone home. They don't want to get home. Then it's time to assemble again in Jerusalem. And they're going to be at the water gate. And they're going to be there on the first day of the seventh month, which is the Feast of Trumpets, which is the new year, 
which is going to sound the trumpet to tell you you've only got 10 days uh, before the Day of Atonement will come. All right. Uh, I'm looking at... Uh, oh, I'm in the... Where am I at? I'm reading the NIV here. What else we got on this page? I'm going to just turn the page and read page two of the notes. That's where I got the text, okay? So, and when the seventh month came, had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Chapter 8, verse 1 on the second page of the notes. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Now you can see the water gate right there. I've got a, a map of it from the top looking down. I've got a little dotted line where you could walk through. There's a large tower there, and then there's going to be a square. As you walk through the two, two uh, there's four chambers, two on each side. They're marked with a C. And I've got little lines drawn where you can see the remains of it in the picture. I'm standing there in the water gate. There's other things built up around it. Uh, but it would have been right in that area uh, that everybody's assembled. And it's, well, here it is. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And so that would be right they're all like right here's the water gate they're all right in this area right here and they told Ezra this is important they the people that have assembled from all the cities in Jerusalem they told Ezra whoa whoa now you who's Ezra you see what I'm saying it's like now the people are telling Ezra they told Ezra so Ezra all of a sudden is there again or he's been there the whole time it's just no need of him or it's too dangerous there's opposition people are undermining sending emails against him he can't get his work done last thing he suggested was we split up the families and that that probably didn't go for very good i mean he made the announcement this is the decision and then it's like tobias probably didn't go with it sanballat and samaria didn't go with it uh gersom the arab didn't want to do it and so they couldn't get it done so now they tell Ezra the scribe. Now he's called a scribe here in a few chapter verses. He's going to be called the priest because he's both. Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the people are asking for it. And then he's supposed to bring the book. So he has the book. Or again, we should not say book. You can. But it's, books weren't created yet. He's going to bring the scroll. They're still writing on long pieces of papyrus or parchment. That'd be so long, they'd write in columns, they'd write in columns, then they'd just roll it up. In the New Testament, first, second century, what they're going to start creating is codex. They're going to still use the papyrus, and they'll still lay it all out, or they'll still use uh, parchment, animal skins, but what they'll do is they'll cut them like this, or you know, maybe about this size. Instead of writing all these columns and having it all rolled up, they found it was easier to just have a stack of pieces, and then they would sew them together, and it was called a codex. And you could, like, turn it instead of unrolling. You know, how would you like to be at the end of Isaiah? And then say, well, in Isaiah chapter 2, just a minute, and you've got to roll, unroll the whole thing, where we can at least flip through the page. So they created the codex. In a sense, the church, the early church, created the codex because they were also people of the book. They were, it was the letters. They couldn't put the letters together. Okay, so Ezra the scribe to bring, we could say, the scroll of the law of Moses. So he's got it with him. So they've gathered. 
Uh, point two, I've got down there, the law of Moses uh, or the Pentateuch already existed. Now, I'm not going to be able to tell you what portion he read from. It doesn't appear he's reading Genesis, although that would be part of the law. It appears, or he's reading Exodus. He, he could be. Uh, it seems like they're focusing on the law, the thing he was sent to do. He was not sent to teach history, you know, Genesis, Exodus. He was sent to teach how are they supposed to function, the law. Uh, obviously, I would think that all, you need all of it to put it together in the context and everything, but they're probably focusing on the stipulations, particularly the Day of Atonement, the Day of, the, well, we're going to see. They're going to they're discover what it means to have the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Uh, so the, the, it says, the people told Ezra, described to bring the book of the law of Moses so the people knew the law existed. And that's where point one there, it says, the people told Ezra to bring the law. They were not just being introduced to a newly formed document as Wellhausen taught in the 1870s. The people were not introduced to the new law. They asked for the old law. Uh, they do not have their own copies. They have to wait for the priest or the scribe to bring it out and read it. Uh, the people, and that's why, how fortunate we are to have our own copy. The people know these words come from the Lord that Moses wrote in the law. So they know these are the words of God. They know about Moses. They know it's recorded somewhere. We want to hear it. We need to get this back on track. Ezra will be able to bring the scroll, not just because they ask it for it. He's, he's got it. I, he's been trying to use it here for 13 years. Now they're ready. It was already available. Ezra is a trained scribe. Uh, the Levites will be able to translate, interpret, and explain the law. Page 3. The law is written in an ancient language, outdated form that the people need to, the, the Levites to update the meaning. Uh, the people were ready. They're willing to gather. They're asking to hear the law, and they're going to respond to it. So the people do these things. They assemble. They ask for it, and then they respond to it by repenting, weeping. Point three on page three. All this proves that the higher textual critics are wrong. Okay, fine. Point four, Ezra was, has not been heard of for 13 years. I, I already explained that to you. Uh, point B, now with the arrival of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls, the climate has changed. I'm not talking about climate change, but the environment or the uh, culture setting has changed. Uh, the enemy is opposed. The people have been organized. So the enemy is no longer a threat like they were. The people are organized. There is now a government in the land. Nehemiah is there with Persian support and finances. The city with the temple and the priesthood is secure. The people are called to gather in the city to start a new year. The people are, were attentive to hearing the words along uh, for a long period of time. It, it may be as much as five hours on this first day. They're going to stand and listen to the law. All right. Chapter 8, verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Now, one of the reasons why they may be in the water gate is they want everybody there. You get up on the temple, you're going to start separating people. You've got the court for the women, you've got the court for the men, you've got the Levites and the priests, and then there's, there's their breakdown here. You've got children standing there. You've got women standing. The whole family is going to hear this. Again, creating not the temple image, but the synagogue, where everybody comes in and hears, not just certain people on the temple. Uh, here the first day is the seventh month. We talked about these things. Ezra is a priest. Uh, all who can understand refers to men and women. 
Uh, and also it says all who could understand point 3b, those Jews who could understand Hebrew. It says all who could understand. That could be, like it says, men, women, children. But it can also mean those who could understand are going to be those who still can understand Hebrew, which is not everybody. Some people can't speak Hebrew in that, in that day. Uh, the movement here is more towards, and this is interesting, point C, the movement here is more towards an intelligent population, not a ritual where we were just going through these activities, but we're going to educate you. We're going to inform you. You're going to have your own information. Again, there's still a priesthood, but everybody's being given the information, which is very different. Uh, the pagans could be superstitious and have rituals, but these people that Ezra's talking to are going to be intellectual they're going to have a logical religion there is a god here's what he wants here's how you do it here's how he interacts with people you're going to have it's going to be the basis of, of philosophy it's going to be the basis of logic it's not just going to be well we go up here and we sprinkle this magic incense on this super fire and we kill up an animal and it makes the gods happy how do you know that it just makes sense that's what we think it's they're going to have to understand the truth uh, okay, page 4, already, eight, chapter 8, verse 3. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate. Again, I'm not sure he's here. I know where he's at, but is he standing in the gate looking out over to the square? But here's the important point. From early morning until midday. And so early morning to midday, you could figure about a five hours there. In the presence of men and the women and those who could understand which could be here's the men there's the women again they, they could be intermixed and those who understood and there's those who are three groups men women and those who understand hebrew and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law uh, i could point three they're talking about deuteronomy point four there is a stress in this oh yeah this is interesting point four there is a stress in this chapter on the people understanding the words. This is used, understanding is going to kind of be the theme right here in chapter 8, verse 2, 3, 7, 8, and 12. The word is understand is used. All who could understand what they heard, those who could understand. The Levites helped the people to understand the law. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And verse 12, all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. It appears these people have been missing an understanding and they were excited to gain an understanding of the word of God. Uh, chapter 8, verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform. I've got the word platformed underlined. I've got it in the square right there. It's some kind of a, in the gate, it's going to be, I, I, I don't know what it looks like. It's a platform. There's going to have to be some kind of stairs coming up to it. And Ezra's going to stand up here with a scroll, and he's going to read to the people. There's going to be, I think it's six men standing on this side, seven men to his, I can tell you, just turn the page right there. As Ezra's standing here to his, okay, he'd be doing this right here. On his right are six people to his left. It says right in the text. If this is his right side, there's six people, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got a drawing of them on page five there. And he's going to be reading. So there are 13 people up here with him on this platform. Total, 14 people. 
We don't know who these people are. We know their names. It doesn't tell you who they are. I'm going to suggest they're Levites or priests. Now, they're, they're, they're going to be mentioned right here, and it gives you the name. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made for this purpose. So this had been constructed, not because, oh, look, there's a platform, there's a nice... They built this for Ezra to read the law. So these people are planning on this. You can see a lot of the background has gone into this. And it gives you the names of everybody. If you turn the page five, I've got a little diagram there. Ezra's facing, I should have drawn an arrow, he's facing the bottom of the page, holding the scroll. Imagine him holding the scroll right there. I drew my own little scroll. I thought that's clever. And then there's the names of the people. Uh, I have nothing to say about the names of the people. Uh, some translations say it was a pulpit. Some say it's a tower. But the word is migdel, meaning a tower, that is, and it's made out of wood. And I think I've got that in the notes there. It means tower. It comes from the word gadol in the Hebrew, which means to grow up or become great. It's a lifted up place, some kind of a tower. Uh, it's built high enough for 14 men to stand on. Uh, chapter point four, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. Excuse me, chap, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 4. If you flip over there, you can if you want to. It's going to mention all of a sudden, we'll look at this next week if I hurry. Uh, chapter 9, verse 4, it says, On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, and all these other people, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. So in chapter 9, verse 4, there's actually a thing called the stairs of the Levites, or the New American Standard calls it the Levite platform. It actually calls it the Levite platform, which makes you wonder, of course, is this the Levite platform? And is that the place where they're going to be reading the law? Ezra's standing on this wooden platform. The very next chapter they call the stairs of the Levites or the Levite platform, and there they're crying out to God. Interesting, it's not in the temple. It's, it's down here amongst the public. Again, the beginning of the synagogue going out into the community instead of everybody coming here. They're not taking the sacrifice. Everybody, in fact, they got in trouble. This is why they went into captivity. They took the sacrifices and started doing it wherever they wanted to, called high places. They set up tent altars in, in uh, Arad, for example. They, they found an altar, a high place in Arad. It's been es excavated. There's an altar there. There's a couple stone gods there. There's a holy place there. It, they worshiped Yahweh there, but they worshiped Yahweh and Asherah, his wife. Because they, they combined it. They, so they were doing that. So they're not going to take the temple sacrifice and start spreading it around the country like they did before captivity. That's why they went into captivity because it became, it, they took it out into the world and they paganized it and they ended up worshiping demons. Instead now, they're taking the word to the people. They're taking the text to the people and uh, they're basically teaching and they're educating the people. Chapter 8, verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people on the platform. And as he opened it, all the people stood. See, that, that's, that's synagogue material right there. He stands up, he opens the book or unrolled the scroll, and when that happens, everyone rises. That's what they did that day. That's what they do in synagogues. Page 6. And here, there's, I've got... I've got that, that picture this right up here. There's going to be two gates to be mentioned. The Ephraim gate and the water gate are going to be mentioned. Both of them are circled on that map. Um, chapter 8, 8, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord. That's exactly they bless the Lord and start reading. They, they open it up. People stand, bless the Lord, and they read the scripture. 
And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, they are not worshiping the holy relic. They realize that this scroll has the very words of God on it. Uh, and they've got several things written down there. Oh, the phrase, the great God, sounds normal in your Bible, but it's straight out of the ancient Middle East, straight out of the ancient Near East. Uh, it's a Persian term. Wherever you're at, whatever your city in, the God you worship is the great God. It could be Marduk or, or it could be Baal or Sin. Whoever your God is, is the great God. Well, they take that term and they're talking about, well, blessed Yahweh, the great God. They say, no, 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 we have the great God here. So they use a Persian term and bring it right in and apply it to God. And the people all answered, amen. Okay, uh, chapter 8, verse 7. Now, this is interesting. Chapter 8, verse 7, also, and you get another whole list, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, it goes all the way through. You've got another list of another 13 people. You've got 13 men up here on the tower with, with uh, Ezra. But now out here in the crowd, you've got 13 other, and these guys are called Levites, and they're scattered among the people. And the reason they are there is to help the people understand. Now, it's possible, it doesn't say this in the text, but why are these 13 guys up there? Maybe for, you know, support. Maybe it looks like they're, they're the ones that we all support Ezra. Nehemiah, you don't hear nothing about Nehemiah in this chapter. It's in, oh, where'd Nehemiah go? He's probably running security. He's, he's watching the thing. Uh, these, these, if they're Levites, they may have taken turns reading. Just like in a synagogue, you'd have maybe possibly seven different readings, and the different readings would be done by different people. So they may be taking turns reading instead of Ezra reading the whole time. Someone else may be reading, potentially. It doesn't say that. But it does say there's 13 people, not these 13, 13 other Levites out amongst the people uh, in, in their places. They kept the people stay in their places. Uh, point two on page seven. These men are stationed among the people gathered in the public square at the Watergate. These men were stationed among the people to help them understand the words being read. So there's something going on where they read, then there's a, a break, an explanation. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it. I mean, did they read for five straight hours? Or did they read for 10 minutes and then they have a breakout session? And then they come back and another reader reads. And he reads a portion of scripture and then the Levites go, okay, gather around. And then they explained it again. It almost sounds like the day of Pentecost. Everybody gathered around to hear him speaking in tongues. But no commentator said anything about anything like that. I've just made that connect of the teaching going on in the crowd. Uh, this was the beginning of the teaching ministry, point four of the synagogue. I wrote that. A synagogue service would include the reading of the text of Scripture, followed by an explanation and commenting on the Scripture. Point five, there were no sacrifices, of course. Um, Ezra had been uh, instilling the practice of the exile. Okay, going on. Okay, chapter 8, verse 8. They read from the book from the law of God clearly and gave this, here's some words, gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So the words you've got right there, out here in the crowd, it, it, it makes it sound like they're also reading. They're reading, uh, it says clearly. That's an English word here in our English, clearly. Uh, they they uh, gave the sense. This is all important. And then once again, so that the people could understand or understood. So the word reading is used twice. And in the two boxes there, I've got 
the word the sense. It is the word sakel. Sakel in the Hebrew, if you put it transliterated into English. And that word means sakel. Oh, excuse me. Let me excuse me. Excuse me. Let me do this. Sorry. Let me do this the other way around. I, was, I wasn't reading it the correct way. Parash. Parash. And this is sakel. Parash. It's a good translation, clearly or distinctly. So the reading's going on, but you got Levites running around in the crowd, not running around, but they're out in the crowd, and they're there to help the people understand it clearly, to get a sense of what's being said, so the people, when it's all done and read, they understood it. It's not like a temple where we're just offering a bunch of sacrifices, and they, they're probably instruction in that too. They're reading the text. There's no magic in these words unless you understand them. It's like, well, I read my Bible today. Well, good. Did you understand it? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, there's really no power in doing a daily Bible reading. It's not like magic words. You've got to have, you've got to comprehend. It's no different than uh, tongues, you know, in Corinth. It's like they speak in tongues. And Paul says, I would rather speak five intelligent words that you understand and communicate with. If I can only say five words that you understand, then 10,000 in tongues. Well, they read 10,000 pages of Scripture. What did they understand? Nothing. They don't understand it all. It's worth, Well, with Scripture, it was worthless. They did not understand it. The power of Scripture is when it penetrates your soul and you comprehend it. Paul even said, I'd rather have five intelligent words. And we can communicate on this level. That's going to do more than, and that's what these people are doing. Clearly, parash, it means to make distinct, to declare. Maybe the key word phrase there is, it means interpret. They maybe were going around, it's being read on this platform in Hebrew, and they're running around reading it again in what? Aramaic. Because everybody's listening to the Holy Word of God in Hebrew, it's like, sounds very holy. It's like in a Latin church, every in a Latin church service, sounds very godly. What's going on? I don't know, it smells good though. It's like, I don't know what's going on. But they maybe just simply translated it into Aramaic. But nonetheless, the word means to make distinct, to declare, to interpret, to explain. The key really want to focus on possibly is interpret. And gave them the sense, which means prudence, insight, understanding, meaning. In other words, I think what we could say for us to understand, they translated it into English and put it in a context, a historical context, and now you understand it. I read it to them in Hebrew. They have no idea what the Bible says. Do you understand it? No, but it sounded very holy and religious. Forget that. I'm going to tell it to you in English. I'm going to give you the historical background and the context, exegetical. We call it exegetical Bible teaching. Oh, well, I understand that. And I, you know the difference right here? When they understood it, it's like they all melted down. It's like, oh, we, we need a change. And they came back the next day and says, we need to hear some more. <laughs> That's the difference. Bible teaching that it's clear, you translate it, exegetically present it, and the people understand it's like, whoa, that changed my life. Can I hear some more? Like newborn babes crave the pure milk of the Word of God. Now, if you don't understand the language, if you have no context, if you say, well, this is how I feel, how do you feel? It's like, well, that was worthless. Unless they got good potato salad, I'm not going back. Okay. So that's what's being said there. And now we're on page... I'm looking at my clock. You're saying, good? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, and chapter 8, verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was governor, 
and Ezra the priest. First time in your Bible, Nehemiah and Ezra's names are in the same verse. So while this is taking place in 444 B.C., Ezra's now front and center teaching the people the law. He came 13 years ago to do this, and all he got done was weeping and wailing on the temple because they're so messed up, tried to fix it, and went into hiding, apparently, to get nothing done. Now Nehemiah is the governor. Now Ezra's the priest and the scribe. Uh, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. You've heard the word of God. I know it's shocked you, but you need to rejoice. And now it's going to say it five times, or four times. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Okay, they're having an impact, but we've got answers for this. We've got the Day of Atonement coming up. We've got the, the Feast of Tabernacles coming up. Yes, you've heard it. You are in trouble, but God's already provided answers, feast sacrifices for it. And in chapter, point three there, chapter eight, verse nine, it says, here, here's the idea. You, weeping, weeping can lead you to repentance, which leads you to fellowship with God. But once you have fellowship with God and you're walking in the light, this now becomes your joy, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a, it's a process. You can't have strength unless you've got the joy of the Lord, but you can't have the joy of the Lord until you're in fellowship and walking in the light with the Lord, and you can't get in fellowship with the Lord until you repent of what He's revealed to you. You're weeping. I'm terrible. I repent. God says, okay, I've got a sacrifice. If it's the rituals, if it's Jesus Christ, now you're in fellowship. You're walking light. You're growing and maturing. You've got joy because God is doing something. God is the victor, and you're going to have strength to go out and accomplish what God wants you to do. What they did, they got right here, and some people, seriously, there's still some groups that want to stress on how, oh, I've examined myself, I'm so weak. Yes, we're all, it's, that's pretty much a clear doctrine of Scripture. You have a sin nature. Stop telling me about it. Start repenting and start learning the Word of God and start walking in the joy because the Lord is your strength to rise above the sin nature. These people, well, they, they didn't want to. They had to be told. And here's four times it says, um, last thing, point three on page eight, that they are told by the Levites, the priests, and finally by Nehemiah, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So you can't have, you can't have holy while you're weeping. Weeping will lead you to holy, but once you're holy, don't go back and weep. Why are you weeping if you're holy? It's a holy day. Next it says, and this is verse 9, 10 and 11 three times in four verses this day is holy to our, our our lord do not be grieved and chapter 8 verse 10 again for the joy of the lord is your strength not your tears and your weeping and your repentance be and then finally chapter 8 verse 11 be quiet in other words i put a little parenthesis there as in stop moaning and weeping and crying be quiet for this day is holy, do not be grieved. In other words, it's a day, of, it's holy, you're in fellowship with God, God is rebuilding the city, no weeping, start having joy, and then they're going to, Nehemiah's going to send them out to celebrate. Go, and he goes, go eat the good food, drink the sweet wine, and then if there's some that don't have something, take some of yours and give it to somebody. I want everybody in this city to be in party mode. Again, think 
godly, healthy, celebration, family reunion, celebrating the Lord, a love feast, you know, communion type atmosphere. We're excited. We're the Lord's people. Focus on this and share with everybody so everybody is excited to be here because you now understand not only that you're sinful, but God has taken you out of that sin into a place of victory. And some, they want to stay back here and weep. It's like, you missed the point. The weeping is recognition of your problem. God has solved. It's kind of like we talked last night about the suffering servant, Psalm 22. It's like, although Jesus was suffering, he also knew the victory was happening even as he was suffering. We'll have to finish that chapter next week. I appreciate you being here. I hope it made sense. It's, I, I think it's kind of a huge chapter. And that's why last week I started studying. I got I done reading. I started putting the notes together. It's like, oh, there's so much. I, I could read through it and tell it to you, but I realized this is, this is monumental. They're not on the Temple Mount. They're in the gate. They're not doing a ritual. They're reading the Word. Uh, there's so many things. It, it sets the foundation for the synagogue, which goes on into the New Testament, and the church spins out of that. Uh, it's just so many things taking place. Okay, I'll pray, and you're free to go. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into things. We thank you for your word. We thank that your word is what transforms us. We ask that we, again, may walk in that joy, produce the things that you've called us to as we celebrate the strength you've given to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we do want to continue to recognize our sin, repent, and continue to grow in Christ as we do the things you've called us to. We do thank you for the word of God, and thank you for a country that we can study it freely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.